Next up on the Renaissance Man podcast, we have the music icon who shaped how each of us listen to R&B, Kenny Babyface Edmonds. Coming up, I talked to Babyface about working with everyone from Whitney Houston to TLC and how it felt playing his hits on NPR's Tiny Desk Concert and how he plans on going on tour in the near future. Up next, Babyface. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, your siblings, your kids, your coworkers, your partner. Share it with someone, anyone you know can use some of this. Good old-fashioned tofu. This week's theme is the path to greatness. Everyone who has a dream or a goal is on a path to greatness. And on this journey, there are going to be some storms. There are going to be some moments where you'll feel tested. You'll feel the need to prove that you're willing to do whatever it takes to keep going on your journey. And if you know how I get down privately and publicly, I will never, ever, ever ignore when I'm in the news. And I know you might have seen, you may have heard that Jalen Rose got laid off by ESPN. It actually happened. But that's not for today. Today, we're going to celebrate Kenny Babyface Edmonds. But I also want to acknowledge something that allows me to feel safe, to feel at peace, is that you're going to get a chance again and again and again to see me smile, work hard, be disciplined, and reinvent myself. Like my good friend and brother, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf once told me, stay humble and stay hungry. Never, ever be complacent. Having that kind of discipline, even when things are going well, is what's going to make you ready for whatever challenges come your way. So whenever you're on your path, make a mental list of what keeps you motivated. It could be your family your teammates, your hometown that raised you. This will help you stay focused and keep your eyes on the prize. And if you're talking about humility and overcoming obstacles, my next guest is the perfect example of that. This gentleman does not want to give his own accolades. This gentleman does not want to promote himself. So I'll do it for him. Babyface is a musical icon. He's a lover of the craft, lover of music, and elevating the voices of others, especially Black women. Coming up, I talked to Babyface 
about the origin of his famous song, You Got That Whip Appeal, and what he's learned about love after writing so many romantic tunes and how his path to greatness took the slow and steady route. Up next, Babyface. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. This is a special episode. My next guest is a multi-Grammy Award-winning recording artist, songwriter, and producer who is one of the most celebrated forces in the history of music. He's co-founder of the legendary record label LaFace, which launched careers like Usher, Tony Braxton, TLC, Outkast, and more. And check this out. He has numerous top 10 hits, 12 Grammys, 50 nominations. I didn't stutter. 50 nominations and a jaw-dropping roster of collaborations. It is my honor to welcome the iconic Kenneth Babyface Edmonds to the show. Welcome, my brother. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate the love from a fellow Midwesterner. You grew up in Indiana. What was your childhood like? Growing up in the Midwest, it's kind of you. You're from the Midwest, so you know what that's like. Where, where from actually? Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> and I played in Indiana for the Pacers for six years, so I know my way around. Really? Also, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Like so, you know, Indianapolis was a kind of a big small town, and uh, it was. Um, it was great growing up there because it was there was so much music in the streets and and um, and going through school and everything and it was a place where a musician could grow because there were so many people to to work with and so many different artists to, that you could work with and, and actually have a chance to you know um, perfect your craft so I, I enjoyed it. Well, you clearly had a, a idea of what you wanted to do and who you wanted to be because you began songwriting at 11 years old what inspired you to write your very first song a girl you know <laughs> it was a uh I, I fell for this girl girl named Rhonda Newbolt and uh she like you know first moment I saw her I was like oh my god I'm in love and then I went home and started a diary and then uh I purposely started picking up the guitar so I could learn some chords so mm. I could write a song and uh, that was like the first song I wrote was a song called Here I Go Falling in Love. And uh, that was it was about, about her. And um, and I didn't know that <clears throat> that's that's what I wanted to ultimately be. It was just kind of like my release, you know, because I, I never played her the song. I was too shy to ever do that. <laughs> so I just I just lived, you know, I lived through my music. You know, that was kind of my voice. What have you learned from writing about love? and heartbreak since then absolutely nothing um so you know um you can write about it and sing about it but it's different for everybody and every experience is different so if i learned anything it's never the same it's not the same thing all the time it's um and, and it is um but the, the whole idea of writing about it is 
it's kind of a release when 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 you're writing about it from your own pain initially. But then when you're still even doing it for other people and you see what see what they're going through, then it, it's there's also something comforting about that, being able to tell someone else's story. I've seen Smokey Robinson talk about writing for so many different artists and being inspired to do so. For you, what is it like to pin songs for other people and understanding that that song can go on to be a mega hit that you basically coined and delivered to someone else? I think that was not something that I initially, when I was writing songs, I, I think I ultimately just wanted somebody to sing it and see how it felt and hope that it felt good. Didn't necessarily know things would turn into big hits. Um, and when they did, it was, it was wonderful, but, um, it wasn't like you, I ever wrote it and I thought that everything was going to turn into that. And so I crossed my fingers every time. Mm. I would only just write something and hopefully, in, in hopes that people would like it and the artists would like it. Um, and sometimes the songs weren't, a lot of times the songs weren't written specifically for that artist. They were songs that I had just written. Mm. They were, let's try this one. Because I, I just like to write, all, write songs all the time. What was it like? to be in the studio, write songs, and work with the late, great, legendary Whitney Houston? Whitney was, um, it was always great working with her. She was um, she was always a lot of fun. Um, she didn't necessarily like to do a whole lot of time, spend a lot of time singing. She liked to get in there and get it done. Um, and so if she if it was harder for her, if she, if she wasn't a voice, one day, then she probably would just stop and meet and say, we just got to try this another day. And I always appreciated that because I don't, I, I hate banging my head against the wall on something, you know, um, knowing that you're probably not going to get it. Um, so we, we kind of had our own language with each other, kind of knowing when to go and when to stop. And it was, um, you know, from the very first time of going in the studio with her and hearing her sing behind that mic. And it was all, it was always an amazing thing to hear this amazing, you know, vocalist that, you know, that to me was my favorite of all, favorite of all time. So what a blessing that was. Your fingerprints have been everywhere in this industry, not only discovering talent, but being very talented yourself in writing. What was it like your initial introduction to TLC? <laughs> TLC was, um, uh, I met Lisa, and Tion, before uh, Chili was in the group, there was a, actually another artist, another girl that was part of the group initially that ended up being changed, ended up changing because she just didn't quite gel with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she ended up leaving and we were trying to find the right, you know, that right third person. And funny enough, Chili was, uh, there's another group we had called Damien Damon. Chili was a background dancer for them. Mm. And, uh, and she just had that look. And one day we just asked uh, Chili if she could sing. And, um, and she sang a song for us. <clears throat> she said, she's got a voice. And <laughs> then we, we tried putting them together. And they were incredible. Um, their personalities, their um, the left eye was brilliant. And, um, you know, conceptually, the things that they would come up with in uh, the whole album concepts and the um, the whole way that they kind of just rolled, it was it was coming from them. Um, 
and it was um it was incredible to watch these girls turn into you know these mega stars overnight um it was unique in a situation it was a unique situation that no one could no one could have predicted that it was going to go like it did mm-hmm. that's why that's when it's that's when it's great when you can't really when you don't really know and then something happens like that I was recently at a birthday party, and there's a young gentleman performing named Usher Raymond. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I consider him a friend. We have the same barber. Can you recall the first time meeting Usher, being introduced to his talent, and what did you think that he could, he could become? Because he, he's really become an iconic artist in his own right. Yes, he has. He, um, Usher, uh, the first time I saw Usher was <clears throat> in LaFay's office, um, when he's, and we had the room full of, uh, uh, our, our employees and everybody was there working and, um, and Usher came in to sing. And he was, mm. he's just a little kid. I don't know. He was like 13, 14 years old. Wow. Um, <clears throat> and maybe younger. Can't remember exactly, but, he came in and he sang Into the Road. Mm. And he went up to every one of these girls that way older than him. And he's flirting with them. He, was, <laughs> he, he went all the way in and, and like, you know, you knew, okay, this kid's going to be something. And <clears throat> it took a little more time to get him there. But but you, I, I knew then that he had something and he's proven uh, over the years that he's had something and for him to be the icon and be as as successful as he is and still in the game, you know, it, it speaks for itself. I'm very proud of what he's done as an artist. It seemed like every person that you've influenced and I appreciate your humility, gold, platinum, multi-platinum, diamond, outcast <clears throat> went diamond. One of the greatest rap groups of all time. What about your introduction to Outcast? Outcast was clearly brought in by Organized Noise, and they um, they were clearly like their own thing. Mm. And they, um, you know, we were lucky to be <clears throat> to be in Atlanta, and and happened to be the company that got them. Mm-hmm. Wasn't um, just by the sense of of us starting with a label there. And being the place that people would want to go to, um, we were we got blessed in that because they clearly outcast for a for the first hip hop rap rap act that really kind of came out of Atlanta and really changed the game. Mm-hmm. And so um so respected from from every um uh, every genre and people give them so much respect and uh it's it's crazy to to think that we were part of that you know and part of that. um <clears throat> and to this day you know outcast still you know the name mm-hmm. and the music that they created it's it's forever and i noticed something as i was naming those artists it it highlights how the game has changed a lot it seems like that was an era where you cultivate and you navigate an artist and it's kind of like putting it in an oven versus now it's like a microwave generation based on the internet and social media. 
What do you see as changes in the game as it relates to developing artists? Yeah, I, I think the the thing is the things move so fast there's there's not a lot of time to develop artists. You know, they you can put a record out and put a single out and if it goes, they didn't have any time to really, you know, grow, to, you know, work their you know, practice their trade. Um get in front of audiences and learn how to perform. Um, learn how to be hot. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there there's no training ground for that because everything is so immediate. It doesn't take the same kind of time anymore. Right. So um and you know, look, we we used to say the same things in the past about, you know, cookie cutter. You know, all the songs sound like in the nineties. We used to get that same thing then and you mm-hmm. you get the same thing now. So it's all it's all cookie cutter and all sounds alike. There there's always been those things. Mm-hmm. But you have to keep your mind open and whether it sounds a lot uh, alike or whether it's cookie cut, it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Doesn't move, does it does it speak to you? And for a lot of younger kids and the younger generation, it speaks to them. Mm-hmm. It may not speak to us the same way because we're not we're not them, right? We don't um, uh, we don't live the life that they live. We don't walk in their shoes. We don't hear things the way that they hear things, right? Just as our parents might have not have heard things the way we heard things, correct? So it's 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 ever changing, and sometimes if it feels cookie cutter, well, that's because it's supposed to be cookie cutter right now, mm-hmm. and it feels good. And what I always try to do is not be negative about it and, and try to compare. I try to listen to it and see what is the, what is it that people like about it? What, what's, spe- what's speaking to them? And many times it's just the way that they're saying the words. It's, it's, the, it's what they're saying, it's what they're talking about um, that we, we don't relate to the same. Um, love songs are not the same kind of love songs, but they don't talk about love the same way. Correct. Yeah, you know, no, nah, I ain't gonna be love together like that. Uh, it may come back one day to a certain extent, and then there are ours that certainly go go there in their own way. You know, like you know, um, Giveon. You know, he'll have a love song. It'll be different than the ones we did, but nevertheless, it's it's showing some vulnerability and, and things. And there's other artists that do that as well. So it's just different than what we did, mm-hmm. and and I just try to listen and learn from them as well. You know, and learn what. Um, their language of music and their language of love. I just—it's better to listen with open ears rather than with judging ears. And and that's why you've been able to continue to not only have an illustrious career, but I would say continue to stay current always. That perspective allows you to do that. And on this show. I always like to acknowledge because there are so many young people when you ask them what they want to do for a living. They want to be an artist. They want to be in entertainment. They want to be in sports. And I like to get candid about the struggles that can come with major success. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges you've overcome in the decades of being in the music industry? Well, for me, everything was a slow grind. So I I, I didn't have overnight success. and so. and I had the same issues as everyone had, you know, signing contracts that weren't great and 
getting taken advantage of all those things and you know so the more you can read and and understand exactly what you're signing and um and when you sit with an attorney when you're going over things actually sit and go over the paperwork to actually try to understand the business that you're in so that you don't have any surprises later in terms of what you signed on for um and i think more importantly um there's this thing with artists where um the more you can have control over your own life not only just financially but also um creatively mm -hmm. um, the more you can not have to depend on another writer or another producer in order to you know there there are so many things at this particular point available to you that weren't that wasn't available as I was growing up like on YouTube where you can sit there and you can learn how to work any kind of um whether it's logic or whether it's fruity loops uh there's all different kind of programs that you can learn how to do music I mean today with samples and everything learn even just garage band there's so many things that you can do uh to learn how to be become your own artist and the more you do that and the more you mess with it then the, then um the more autonomy you have and the more you can make those decisions and not depend on others right and that's coming from a writer producer artist perspective. and i think that so many times people just kind of put their hands up and think they can't do it but there's so many so many things at the at our hands right now with these computers with social media with with everything all right there if you just do the research and and start and work on it how did you get your nickname uh my nickname funny enough came from uh bootsy collins <laughs> and which was really funny is i just walked in the studio one day there uh, the deal was doing demos with them and I walked in the studio and he just yelled out baby face. Wow. Yeah. The legend, Bootsy Collins, gave you your nickname. Now, now, I'm pretty sure by now you paid attention to there's one baby face, but there are a lot of babies now. Yeah. There are a lot of faces now. Yeah. So it's only right to ask you, can you give me your top five songs that you've written that you consider baby making music and that's a good question i don't know i mean everybody <laughs> keeps their own thing so i don't i never think of it as baby making music because <laughs> maybe the only only true baby making song that i would probably have that comes to mind i would only give you the one which would probably be whip a pill <laughs> other than that i don't i, I can't really tell you <laughs> And, and by the way, that's that's such a classic. That song. How how did that song come about? Um, well, funny enough, I was uh, heard um, Pebbles, uh, who was uh, um, married to L.A. Um, they were Pebbles was having a conversation one day, and she was talking about uh, you know she talking about L.A. He she said he got that whip appeal. <laughs> said, well, Shout what? to the OG LA. <laughs> and then I said, What? <laughs> uh, and he said, Whip appeal. I said, I love that word. So I said, Okay, I'm going to take that word. And 
So I just took that word and went and wrote the song. Wow. Uh, and uh, it was, um, and that she only had said the word. She didn't write any of the song with me, but I ended up giving her credit for it because she said that word. Right. And uh, I think it was a word that people had just said, but, um, and I just kind of, um, I said, what, I thought in my head, okay, how would Prince do this? <laughs> and that's how I approached it. That's I approached that with Prince was doing this, which was nothing like how Prince would do it. But, <laughs> but well, it ended up being a classic. And for our listeners that haven't checked you out in your recent NPR Tiny Desk concert, it's legendary. I'm making sure you guys check that out. What was it like for you walking down memory lane and performing some of your greatest hits? Um, those those are always fun. When I do live shows, I always go through a medley of songs. And this one was particularly fun because, you know, I had, you know, Chante Moore and, and Tank and Avery. And uh, it was um, it was fun because having them sing it with me and, and just be in, in that intimate setting. And that's just kind of just just going for it. Um, hadn't done that in a while. And um, so that was that was a fun actually performance that we did together. So it seems like you prefer live performances versus recording studio sessions. No, I prefer them all. Um, it's all it's all part of the same thing for me. What are the top songs you've ever written that you're proud of? I know that's like asking you your favorite kid. You've been doing this forever. You got so many classics. But can you just acknowledge some of the songs that you've written that people may not realize that you have? Um, that's hard to look. I, I, it is. There's a lot of songs that I've written, and, then, and I'm I'm surprised how many songs there actually are for all the different artists I've written over the years, um, and some things that people forget, and even I forget. Uh, I remember going to a concert that Drew Hill was performing at, and and I was backstage, and I heard. Because I had written um, COVID as well, um, a couple songs. These are the times with Drew Hill, and also we're not making love. Mm. And um, and uh, but there's two other songs that I've written for him too, and I forgot what they were. But I heard this, heard them playing these songs, and the concert said, "God, that sounds familiar. What is that? What is that?" <laughs> and I went, "Oh shit, I wrote that." <laughs> I still don't remember right now as I'm thinking, but so you know, look over the years, there's just been so many different songs that that I've written and um, written or produced, and um, I don't exactly even know how that was even possible. Mm. When look when I look back at how many things that were done, I think I just spent most of my time just writing, and that was, and just and constantly. Constantly inside the my closet, you know, mm. writing, you know, when uh, in the early days when everybody was out partying, inside mm. my closet trying to write another song, you know. So, um, and that's the only way that could have happened because it was, um, it was constant. Um, it wasn't always sitting and writing for artists in in particular. It was just writing in general. Mm. And those songs ultimately found their way, um, you know, to that artist. Some songs 
didn't find their ways to years later. There's a song I did on Tevin Campbell called I'm Ready mm. that I actually wrote when I was um, in high school. It's like the, um, I was like a senior and wrote that song, I'm Ready, and ended up changing a little bit, but the basic, the whole basic idea of the song was there, was written way back then. So, and so sudden, certain things just didn't make it to the right artist till years and years later. Well, your talent, your hard work, your humility all deserve praise. And I'm very grateful that you took the time to join the show. But before I let you get out of here, I got a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this, baby face? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Which musician was the most fun to be in the studio with? Which musician? Oof. I'll say musicians. TLC, they were the most fun. What is your favorite song to set the mood? I know I have one. <laughs> <laughs> there is no song I'm going to set the mood for. So. <laughs> I'll give you one. Whip appeal. How about right. that? Well, I, I'd have a problem saying the mood with myself singing this song. <laughs> True. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Which artist would you love to collaborate with in the future? Um, I'd love to collaborate with um, Sade and Drake. Mm, sounds like you already got something written for them to do this. No, nah, not yet, but maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, we need to make that happen. We mm -hmm. make things happen like that on this show. And lastly, but certainly not least, and I appreciate you taking the time. What's next for Babyface? Can we get a tour? What's happening? You need yeah, to go on tour. We're working on something. We're working on some things, trying to figure that out. And so I think that that's going to come. And I'm just working on new music in a lot of different genres. And so um, it's uh, I'm having a good time. So I'm looking forward to it. Any Bye. new music, thoughts, ideas, artists, collaborations that you want to share to tease I, a little bit? No, I can't put that out because, you know, you work on it and you don't always know whether it's going to work out. So, um, true. <clears throat> well, so. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm a huge fan and I can't wait for, for the tour because I'll definitely be there to support you. Appreciate you taking the time, baby. Yeah, baby. Appreciate it, buddy. Take care. Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank babyface for stopping by the podcast be sure to keep an eye out for his tour that's in the works one thing that stuck out to me about babyface is how after all of these years as an artist as a songwriter as a producer he doesn't live in the past someone as accomplished as he could easily continue to stay the same and remain as one version of himself. He is open to evolving and we should all try to do the same. So I ask you this, what are the ways that you have opened yourself up to change? Have you switched jobs, careers, motivations, moved to a new city, a new relationship, Embrace the new way of doing something in your life. Whatever it is, just remember, keep reinventing yourself. 
and never, ever stay complacent. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.